Eric Mann, you're on Voices from the Frontline to your national movement building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. I am waking up and smelling the revolution in studio. I'm here with Gary Baca, and uh, he does the Global Village. We're gonna, he and I still have big plans to sing for you. And uh, good morning. We're going to have an interesting show. First of all, thank you for getting up with me, and it uh, means a lot. Uh we're going to do some uh, fundraising today. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. We have a really good conversation with my dear friend, colleague, and comrade, Akuna Uka, who is the coordinator of volunteer programs at the Strategy Center. Um, we're going to listen to Amy Goodman's headlines because it's really important. You know, the world is falling apart, so in seven minutes, she'll give us you know, one thing to feel good about and six to feel terrible about because that's the news, that's the truth. And then I'll do some commentary, then we'll go to Kuna. Then if there's time, I'll sing uh, Unchained Melody along with the Drifters. And then I have some commentary on the just horrible situation in uh, Maui. And I have a New York Times article that has some really important you know, facts, the main fact of which, by the way, is they describe it so. The plantation system that was doing so well, enslaving Hawaiians with bananas and pineapples, is now being replaced by tourism. So the beloved plantations are being left, and a new kind of grass is coming that is very... Uh, heat attracting and burns up in no time. What does this have to do with a government that would come in and cut that grass and build low-income housing and, oh, man, and let people in Hawaii develop all these indigenous institutions? So the way they describe it as, you know, this sort of grass caused the problem instead of imperialism caused the problem. Well, that's why you get up and talk to me. And I want to talk about fundraising for a minute before we go to Amy. Um, you know, I was listening to Margaret Prescott, and, uh, you know, as they say, a tough act to follow. I don't mind following Margaret as long as I know she's the best. And her passion for this station, her anger at the listeners for not calling in, her commitment to the Caribbean, the third world, to Africa, to Milko Cabral, I was just reading about Somebody saying the nicest country to live in is Portugal. For whom? For the slaves? For the Brazilians? For the, the nicest country of what? Mass murderers. It's hard to see the United States every day as a genocide or white settler state, which I do. Hard. Every time you say the word Spain to me, England, Germany, 
I just know they're mass murderers, and there's nothing good about them. Nothing. And if you live there, you should feel the same way I do, which is, I was at this conference once in the 150th anniversary of the uh, Communist Manifesto, and, you know, these European Marxists were getting me kind of sick, and one guy was saying, well, I'm an Italian Marxist. They could say, I'm a German Marxist. And I say, I'm an anti-American. And all the third world people came over and hugged me. So welcome, good morning. If there was a House and American Activities Committee, I'd be one of their first uh, witnesses. So that is all about getting money for KPFK. That I want you as listeners to think this out as a problem we're all trying to solve, which is the station will be hanging by a thread as long as you and I live. It's the nature of it. I mean, me and Gary here in the morning, and it's not like there's 17 other people getting us coffee and donuts and making breakfast, and there's no AC in here. <laughs> what the hell? They shut that off. But we're happy to be here. At least I am, you know, happy to have the show. So I want you to figure out how to integrate fundraising, because that's what it is, fundraising for KPFK, starting with your own contribution. So 818 985-5735. We need to raise some money today. Margaret went off the air saying she about $800. And you know Margaret. She said, I am ashamed of you. How could you do this to the third world? And she means it. She means it. So I'm ashamed of you too. But <laughs> not really. I'm going to ask you to integrate into your life that when there is a fundraising appeal on KPFK, you just do it like you pay your monthly whatever, 818-985-5735. Why don't you make our morning really cool and just call in and uh, let's put some money on the board. Now, one premium I do offer, because I can always offer that, is my book, Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of a Successful Organizer. Uh, I'll give it to anybody who... Uh, Gives a hundred dollars or more. Is that a good deal? Uh, and the strategy said that I paid completely. KPFK does not pay for it at all. Um, it's sold more than ten thousand copies now, and six thousand in the bookstore, and four thousand through the strategy center. And I called my publisher, and she says, "Eric, you know you sell alone <laughs> almost as many books as we do." But the point is, thank you to Beacon Press for publishing it. And it's an amazing book. It's an amazing book about how to be a successful organizer, how to be a good listener, how to be a group builder. It's sort of, you know, <clears throat> psychotherapy for communists. It's really good. So 818-985-5735. Call in and pledge anything from $100 or more, and I'll make sure that you get a copy of Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of a Successful Organizer. With that, let's listen to Amy Goodman. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. 
A grand jury in Georgia has indicted Donald Trump and 18 others, charging them with organizing a criminal enterprise to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. Trump faces a total of 13 counts in the indictment. Others indicted include former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, several of Trump's attorneys, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis, as well as former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark. This marks Donald Trump's fourth indictment in just over four months. The 41 felony count indictment is built around Georgia's RICO law, which is often used to go after organized crime. This is Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's racketeer-influenced and corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. D.A. Willis opened the probe after Trump pressured Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in January 2021 to, quote, find 11,780 votes. That was the margin Trump would have needed to defeat Joe Biden in Georgia. Part of the charges stem from a breach of voting machines in Coffee County, about 200 miles from Atlanta. The indictment alleges the criminal enterprise operated in other states, including Michigan, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Nevada and New Mexico. Fannie Willis has given Trump and his co-defendants until August 25th to turn themselves in. This all comes as Trump is the Republican frontrunner in the 2024 presidential race. We'll have more on the story after headlines. In Hawaii, the death toll from the Maui fires has reached 99, expected to climb significantly as 1,300 people remain unaccounted for. Crews have searched for bodies in only about 25 percent of the devastated area. It's the already deadliest wildfire in the United States in over a century. Hawaii Governor Josh Green spoke Monday. As I shared earlier, the scale of destruction is incredible. So our hearts are broken even a little bit more than when we were together uh, 48 hours ago with the extra fatalities. Also, you know that we're well over 2,200 structures that have been destroyed. 86% of them are residential. In a landmark climate case, a Montana judge has ruled in favor of a group of young people who've sued the state for violating their constitutional rights as it pushed policies that encourage the use of fossil fuels. In her decision, Montana Judge Kathy Seeley wrote, quote, plaintiffs have a fundamental constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment, which includes climate. The judge went on to rule, quote, Montana's emissions and climate change have been proven to be a substantial factor in causing climate impacts to Montana's environment and harm and injury, unquote. The case was brought by 16 children and young adults ranging from 5 to 22 years of age. One of the plaintiffs, 19-year-old Grace Gibson Snyder, recently appeared on Democracy Now! and talked about Glacier National Park in Montana. Watching those glaciers melt is such a 
you know, devastating thing because it's it's so iconic for the state. It's so essential for the well-being of the people and of the environment here. And it's just beautiful. And I would hate to be a part of a future where that's not present, where that's not a thing that my kids get to grow up with. And so, you know, those are my impacts. And, and the plaintiffs in the case um, have, you know, everything from respiratory illnesses that are exacerbated by climate change to uh, a cattle ranch where the cattle are dying because of drought and famine and et cetera. And so it's been, we all have experienced this in different capacities. The Montana ruling came on the same day that NASA confirmed last month was the warmest July ever recorded on Earth. Sarah Kupnick is NOA's chief scientist. It was the warmest July by a long shot, specifically by more than a third of a degree Fahrenheit. That may not sound like a lot, but the margin for most global records is on the order of a hundredth of a degree or two. So last month was way, way warmer than anything we've ever seen. Well, welcome to life and deteriorating imperialism. Um, how do I even, you know, it's funny because the two headlines I was going to have was going to be Hawaii and the Montana decision, so at least I'm reading something. Um, the one thing I want you to understand about me is, I think you do, is keep saying, you know, this guy, I'm a veteran of the Congress of Racial Equality, the Newark Community Union Project, the Students for Democratic Society. I work with the August 29th movement. I work with the New Directions movement that, that we took over the UAW before they crushed us. I've worked for 33 years at the Labor Community Strategy Center. I'm not a critic. I'm an organizer. But you have to start with outrage. I mean, and the outrage is almost infinite right now. So let me start with the Maui situation. Um, Anna Kuna, you still there? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Good morning. good morning. Looking forward to it, but you know me. I'll go on. <laughs> go on for a while. Um, <clears throat> you know, it says here, uh, we're going to, so we're going to start with Maui. Uh, when Hawaii's last sugar plantation shut down in Maui in 2016, sugarcane plantation, it marked the end of an era where sugar reigned supreme in the archipelago's economy. But the last harvest of the 36,000-acre plantation underscored another pivotal shift, the relentless spread of extremely flammable non-native, oh my God, like, you know, alien grasses, on idled land where cash crops once flourished. Varieties like guinea grass, molasses grass, and buffalo grass, which originated in Africa and were introduced to Hawaii as livestock forage, now occupy nearly a quarter of Hawaii's landmass. Fast growing when it rains and drought resistance when lands are parched, such grasses are fueling wildfires across Hawaii, including the blaze that claimed at least 93 lives in Maui last week. So, uh, oh, I'm going to talk about Trump, too. Um, so what do we do? The, the grasses were brought here by the imperialists, you know, dull pineapple and 
SNH Sugar, whoever was doing that, had plantations, just said so casually. Um, they brought non-native grasses to um, feed livestock, who then they would kill and sell to us for meat. It's such a parasitic society that they almost, this, this terrible article in the Times, by the way, almost sounds like the good old days when we just had those sugar cane plantations. So the world is going crazy, and it's, it's you know, um, my wife Lee and I have gone to Maui about six times. Every time I go, I feel some deep ambivalence about why I'm in other people's land. I stay in a really nice hotel and read about Hawaiian history. And then there's a place we used to go. I think it was called the Whaler's Village or the Fisherman's Village. And it was beautiful. It was in Lahaina. And it was very kind of low tech. You know, they had the the kind of store where you could buy all kinds of beads and, you know, nice stuff for not a lot. They had a great hamburger restaurant right on the, right on the ocean. And then they had these uh, banyan trees, I hope that's the right word, that were just phenomenally beautiful. Um, trees that must have been there for hundreds of thousands of years. And they were so inter intertwined that you could, when you went to the park, it was like they created a canopy over you. So far, thank God, they have not burned down. But it's not an exaggeration to say that the world is burning down and the movement's not doing very much about it. So I'm sorry, this is one of my big themes is I don't know where the movement is. So you're on 818-985-5735 if you want to do something about it. At least let's build this station up because the information you're getting is not real great. But the challenge is real great and your obligation is real great. So look, there's a lot of things we can't do. We can keep KPFK alive. Isn't that cool? I mean, we really can. Um, what would you do without Amy Goodman's headlines or Amy Goodman's show? What would you do about um, Global Village with Gary Baca? What would you do without Voices? You'd live, but not as well. So in that the scale of what KPFK needs, which is about a million, million and a half dollars, excuse me, per year from you, it's not the end of the world, right? That's a number we can make. So call 818-985-5735. Give $50 for $100 or more. You can get a copy of my book, Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer, which is guaranteed after 30 days to increase your libido. You'll lose weight, your hair will go back, and... I've been talking about a lot of listeners there about 10 years younger. So this is probably my own projection, right? So 818-985-5735, give us a call, and we'd love for you to give money to the station. The last thing I want to say is, is two other things I want to talk about. Um, you know, I feel this Montana decision is very scary to me because let's start with the positive, that what it shows is there is no law in America. The judges can rule for whatever they want. If they want to say you have an environmental right, which is a stretch, by the way, it's true, then you have environmental right. 
If they say you don't have an environmental right, you don't have a right. If they say you have civil rights, you have civil rights. If they say no, there's no more affirmative action, no more voting rights, no more civil rights, no more Roe versus, uh, Roe versus Wade, then you don't have them, according to the law. So you have to understand the law is a complete fraud in this country. A group of, they don't go up on a mountain to meditate with God. They make this stuff up as they go along. Now, this judge, to give her credit, did a terrific um, ruling. You don't think it's going to be appealed to some Supreme Court? Probably maybe on this one. But there are six monsters up there waiting to overturn anything we do. I'm not trying to be a downer. It's just I live in this world, and you just need to know 818-985-5735. And finally, the thing with Trump, just so I explain myself, he's being prosecuted under RICO, which was already, you know, it's, it, it was supposed to be for organized crime. You know, once they put something on the books, it's used against communists. <laughs> it's used against anybody they want, and now they're using it against Trump. Again, welcome to the law. But here's the fundamental question. Trump can be elected president of the United States from prison. I got to check the law whether he can, but I think he can until uh, if he's out on bail. Trump right now is pulling ahead of Biden. Biden does not represent you and me. Biden represents not the kind of left, smushy liberal. He is a warmonger going to war with China. He is mass imprisoning black people. He is standing for, oh, his attacks on China and the way he talks about he's He's, you know, he's Harry Truman in Oppenheimer. He's trying to have a nuclear war with China. He's trying to make the taking away of Taiwan, which is part of China, the great uh, cause celebre. Now, I think China, I'm asking the People's Republic of China, please come to South Central Los Angeles. Please come to Harlem. Please come to New Orleans and fight for the independence and the separation of those black communities. And they could all become part of China with the right of self-determination. Because the way the United States goes all over the world and kills Gaddafi, overturns virtually every government with impunity, is now sending... Uh, uh, naval vessels into the China Sea should upset you at least as much as you're upset about Donald Trump because he's got a movement, folks. His people care. His people are armed, dangerous, and committed. Where were we when they challenged the White House? Were we armed? Not that I would defend the White House, but would we be armed to defend the election? You and I know we're not. So, good morning. You got me in the morning, but the main issue is always look in the mirror. Don't worry about Trump. Don't worry about Biden. Worry about yourself, which is why you call 818-985-5735. Okay, Gary, find some song you like. Let's take a break. And we're going to go back to my friend Akuna Uka in about two minutes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, I hope you've had some coffee as you got up around 10 to 8, and here we are. So you work with us. I've known you for over three years now. How'd you grow up? You're Afro-Nigerian. What does that mean? Uh, So my father is Igbo. He's from the southeastern part of Nigeria, obviously, and my mom is African-American, uh, her family uh, are the descendants of slaves from Virginia, and eventually they moved to New York, and that's where I was raised, in New York. Were your parents, you, you have a relationship with both parents. Tell me a little about them. Uh, they're both very interesting and, and different. <laughs> uh, I think they complement each other. Uh, both are definitely very intellectual, and I think for different reasons, really stressed having a strong black identity, black in different ways, right, both Nigerian and African-American at home, just because of the schooling environment I was in. I think they realized that they were going to have to supplement. So that was something where they were really good uh, partners and tag-teaming in that, you know, poetry and reading and just having really interesting books in the house that reflected who we are. Uh, And so, yeah, I definitely give them a lot of credit for that. You know, in my office at the Strategy Center, I have a section called My Father's Books. And they're books that I grew up with on the shelf. I still remember Organized Labor and the Negro. I'd never heard of, I'm six years old, I didn't know what Organized Labor was. And sadly, I barely knew what a Negro was. But I went and found that book. It still exists. 
and I have, you know, so what were some of the books on the shelf for you that even before you read them shaped your consciousness or that you did read when you were young? Let's see. Let me think. Some of the books on the shelf. Mm. You know, there were a lot of books of poetry. There were novels. I'm trying to think if there were what other types of texts there were. But yeah, definitely a lot of poetry, a lot of novels. Uh, Chinua Achebe, of course. Okay, we'll keep going when, I, when you come back to it. Um, the question I always ask everybody is, you know, life is a, sort of an endless consciousness-raising experience. When when was the first time that you began to think that you were not a loyal American, that there was something fundamentally wrong with this country? Mm, I think it, part of the issue was realizing the disconnect between what I was being taught in school versus what I was being taught at home. Like I, you know, I have a distinct memory of, you know, around Thanksgiving, you're doing the five finger paintings to make the turkey and, you know, everyone's excited and you're talking about, you know, how amazing this holiday is. And I have a distinct memory of coming home and my dad saying, well, you know that Thanksgiving is actually celebrating the slaughter of the Native Americans, right? And it's, you know, and so I think there were some of those moments throughout my childhood where I realized, hmm, what I'm being taught in school as true, that's that's not actually resonating with my experience or with what I the history I'm being taught at home. Well, and nonetheless, um, you did succeed a lot inside the the system's rules. I mean, I think you went to Swarthmore. You're a Truman scholar. So how did going to Swarthmore, being a Truman scholar, you know, to me, those schools and awards tend to uh, elevate your false consciousness, you know what I mean, of who you think you are. How did you navigate that? You know, I think I'm still navigating it. I think, to be honest, when you're kind of a player in two different games, right, it does affect your consciousness because our schooling system, whether, you know, it's an elite school like a sophomore or wherever or our other schools, it is still all based off of this concept of individual achievement, which I think is totally contradictory to how a healthy society should be structured. So I think just the process of going to a school and then on top of that, going to a school where it's, oh, you got into this place. Oh, you are one of the, you know, elite students. It, it feeds into this idea of because of who you are, you deserve more than others. Uh, and I think it sets people up to think in that way. And, and obviously part of the reason why people care about the school that you went to, because very few people actually ask me what I learned, right? They just ask where you went, and then that's right. kind of right. this <laughs> stamp of approval. Uh, and so I think part of that, too, is then 
the elite school is used to get the elite job, which obviously lends itself again to individualism and careerism. Yeah, two bad diseases, individualism and careerism. I went to Cornell. But it was good because when we went, you know, class of 64, the great Danny Schechter, uh, the late Danny Schechter, was one of our leaders among the white Jewish kids who were, you know, and he went off right away to the Northern Student Movement in Harlem, which encouraged me to go to the Congress of Racial Equality in Harlem. He then worked for Nelson Mandela for so many years. So we were very fortunate because if you went to Howard in 64, if you went in that moment, you really did see the university as more the opponent of what you were working with, you know, and you left, you know, somewhat grateful for what you got. But we didn't say let's give back to the less less fortunate. We said, you know, let's tear down a rotten system. but you're in a different time. You're in a different moment. What in the world brings you to the Strategy Center, given, you know, your good inclinations, but still, given your background, what would make you choose to work with the Labor Community Strategy Center, with me and Barbara Lutholland, with Channing Martinez? You know, we're so happy to work closely with you. What's the transition like? And we know it's ongoing. Yes, I think part of it is, a push to look for something else, right? So if you're in college or, you know, early master's program and you're maybe doing service projects or service learning or thinking about a career in public service, right? Like there are these different frameworks for people who want to do good work. But then I was finding that as I was in different spaces, the capacity for good was so limited because you're not, as you know, you were alluding to before, you're not actually looking to change the system that is oppressive, that's racist, that's all of the other isms, right? You're kind of navigating within it like, oh, I know the school system is terrible, but how could I have a tutoring program that helps a couple of students, right? Or how can I have a program that allows a few of these students to go to the quote-unquote good school. And, it's you know, that's such a limiting space to work in that I think the Strategy Center was so appealing because the demands are huge, right? Which also makes it the challenge because you don't get the immediate satisfaction of, oh, I got it, right? I, I tutored the kid and I saw the immediate result. You know, you're really working towards these long-term campaigns, but I think the motivation comes to stick for, you know, year three, year five, some of, you know, year 15, year 20, because the potential win at the end of the campaign is so great that it's it's obviously worth fighting for. Well, that's what I do and what we do, and you have been such a valuable part of our team. Just tell our listeners, by the way, slow down a minute, Eric. So you're on KPFK, 90.7 FN in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. We want you to stream live on the web all over the world at kpfk.org. We'd like you to go on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, and register. The registrations mean a lot. It means that you're out there, and you're going to get, most of the time, a weekly email letting you know what's on the day before, 
And, and you're also going to get the same show as a podcast sent to you directly later in the week. So you listen to it now. You can send it to your friends, which would really mean a lot. Or you could listen to it again. Uh, so please go on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and register. And please contribute to KPFK. So you can hear the voice of Akuna Uka at 818-985-5735. And like I said... You know, just make some coffee, listen to the show, go online, give some money. It's not the end of the world. Just integrate it into your consciousness that, you know, as I always say, anybody who's running on the, if I'm elected, there'll be less fund drives. Forget it. The station needs you. There's all these hypothetical hopes for the, you know, $10,000 donor, the $50,000 donor. And they're essential to making, you know, if you're out there. Please do it on voices so we could get credit that you're out there at 818-985-5735. But the reality is that's the $50, the $100, the $250 contribution. That is the backbone of the station, and it is the level at which most of you can give. I want to say one more thing, that uh, – all of us are getting older, so even young people think they're so young. We all get older one day at a time. And some of us who listen to the station are older. And some of you, I know because you've written to me, are on very limited incomes. I mean, scary stuff. And you're nice enough to write to me at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. But you also know that you're the most conscious. <laughs> you've been there with the station for so many years just whatever you can give means a lot. It also means how many people gave today at 818-985-5735. So, Kuna, um, tell us some of the campaigns about the Strategy Center, and then I want to get into your Ph.D. program, BSAP, and where you're going. Sure. I, you know, one of the major ones that first attracted me was the fair free transit campaign so advocating that the we already pay for our public transit system and we shouldn't need to pay any more in terms of the fare and i thought that was really appealing one because as someone who for the last several years has relied on the train pretty much five out of seven days a week i noticed the income level of the average writer. Um, and it's not someone who is of a professional background. And then, you know, through doing research with you all, I learned, oh, yeah, my what I was observing visually was correct. The average writer is a Latina woman who makes less than $18,000 annually. And so uh, the idea that we would then charge uh, for someone to be able to get to school, get to the grocery store, get to work is, uh, again, it's it's a part of that oppressive system. It's all interlinked. Yeah, and let's talk about, um, so, uh, you know, uh, at the Strategy Center, we have a small, very dedicated team, and we now have a co-directorship with myself and Chani Martinez as co-directors. Many of you know uh, Chani and I have worked on Voices for so many years. We have sort of code everything as, almost as soon as we met each other. And uh, we won this major in terms of something very structural and positive. 
We won the first cut in the police. Whenever we were saying defund the police, we were almost the only group that actually defunded the police. And we got to the Los Angeles School District, thanks to uh, Monica Garcia, thanks to Kelly Gonez, thanks to Nick Melvoin, thanks to Jackie Goldberg, to vote to cut the uh, police budget by 35%, $25 million. We also got, for the first time, money put into a black student achievement program, which is under attack, which we'll get to. So Akuna and Barbara and Channing and I work a lot on the less police, more money for black students. But then what exactly is happening with black students? So why don't you relate this? Oh, so our demands. Our demands, first of all, we're serious. Is, you know, you have to come up with counter-hegemonic demands. So we're proposing, you know, the, the budget of the school board is $14 billion dollars. We're proposing $1 billion be moved to black students, which will not guarantee their performance, but will sure as hell help it, and no police in the schools. So how in the world does this lead you to a Ph.D. program? Yes, so as I was deepening my involvement, I found that and the work that I was in professionally, that there was just, you know, a rubbing up against of my time and, and limitations and, and flexibility before I was an administrator in a middle school. And, you know, you get there at 7.30, you leave after 4.30, you might have something you need to do in the evening, and you're locked on that campus. And it's meaningful work, but it's definitely... Uh, it was limiting in terms of being able to, one, make it to a school board meeting, right, which is on a Tuesday at 9 a.m., or being able to make it to uh, some of the police-free school meetings and obviously our planning meetings. And so I found that, again, just thinking through what's the direction of my life and what am I trying to dedicate myself to, going into a Ph.D. program, one, would give me the space to think, but two, and probably even more importantly, give me the flexibility in my time, uh, which, you know, if you're trying to be a foot soldier, that's one of your most important resources. Uh, And so that was uh, definitely two of the motivating factors. And then uh, specifically what made USC, I'm pursuing the PhD in education, appealing is that, You know, they're located right here in South L.A., and uh, a couple of the professors are actually working to evaluate the BSAT program. So it's being right there in the mix. Yeah, and the Strategy Center is at 3546 Martin Luther King Boulevard. It's called the Strategy and Soul Movement Center. We're going to have a film theater program. Uh, We're starting to really get our state-of-the-art theater up. We have films that we're going to be seeing, Jamel and Tim, about two black queer men who were uh, went to the home of Ed Buck, a very uh, influential white gay political figure and who died at his hands. We're going to see the film The International Hotel, The the Fall of the Eye Hotel, which is about... um, a terrific uh, movement in the 1970s in the middle of um, 
San Francisco's Manila town, and uh, that shaped the lives of so many people, and that's going to be coming up. We're going to do a film called Havana 455 about the bombing of a Cuban plane uh, by the U.S. CIA. So I raise this because the work we're doing involves art and culture and books, and uh, which, oh, here's an interesting connection. So here you are applying to USC, and you end up at USC running the Strategy Center's book fair at the LA Times Book Fair. How did that happen? Yes, that, that was a funny connection. So uh, I don't even know how the idea came up for us to participate in the LA Times Festival of Books this year, but... Uh, it was yours. We Oh, it was great. <laughs> well, you know, good ideas come from different heads, so that's good. <laughs> So I had the idea and, you know, we were organizing for it and, you know, our display was beautiful. It, you know, it looked, we literally took our bookstore and recreated it at the booth. And so I think that was really amazing. And, you know, that work was reflected in the fact that people were hanging out for a while, like almost like it was a coffee shop class bookstore, right? So that was really amazing. And it was just such a funny coincidence that, you know, we get our booth information and, you know, before we're allowed to set up, we go just to scope out the area and everything. And then, of course, our spot is right in front of Rossier, which is the School of Education building. And so, yeah, those (laughs) connections are funny. But I think that's why being purposeful about the institutions that you're, you know, in and a part of is, you know, important because then you get to have these uh, connections. Uh. Yeah, I mean, the thing, again, you're listening to the voice of Akuna Uka, Akuna Faith Uka, who's uh, one of the leaders of the Labor Community Strategy Center. I'm not usually a fan of PhDs. I discussed, when we discussed this, I talked to you about the very predatory nature of most academic research, which pimps off other people and makes the uh, professor the center of truth. And, you know, I have this study, the strategy center, and how nice you're going to get a quote about you in the story about you instead of telling your own story. But we're so excited you're going to do that because you're also part of the Black Student Achievement Steering Committee. You're on the Police Free LAUSD. You're going to be in South Central. You live in South Central. So... I think you're going to do great, and um, we really need you there. And just to say to people out there, you know, at my age, you know, the question was, are you going to put your body on the line? That was the issue. But I think for everybody, there are life choices you can make. And the one you made, Akuna, that to say I want to get more time with the strategy center, I want to study the very thing that the movement's working on, and I think you're going to do great at it is very encouraging to me because we want people to make better life choices, right? And um, I think you'll be happier. I, I, that's the other thing that we forget is, uh, were you real happy at your other job? I'm sorry? Were you real happy at your other job? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, it was meaningful uh, but happy is not the term I would use. <laughs> <laughs> right. So often, you know, what people have to understand is I love doing this stuff. I, you know, people say, how do you do it every day? This is what I love to do. It's fun. 
And the revolution can be fun, especially. So anyway, I think you bring a great joy to the work, and um, you you're going to be a really important leader, and and your uh, your political I don't want to use the word career. So what is the word? Your political trajectory is just beginning. You know, you're going to have a lot of more chapters to write in your book. Um, what's, I'm going to end because I want to sing. I still want to make sure I have enough time to sing. Uh, what's your biggest challenge right now in your life? What About anything, about anything. What are you going through? What's, you know, I wouldn't wish mine on anybody. I mean, I'm up at 3 in the morning working out so many things. But what are the conflicts or challenges or things about yourself and your life that you're trying to grapple with even? There's a lot, but I think one thing that I'm thinking about that's kind of a through line, regardless of, you know, where I am, what institution I'm a part of, what I'm actually doing, is being able to set long-term goals and then understanding the purpose of what I'm doing in the moment, right? Like, just that being able to evaluate, okay, is this on track for the campaign? Was that the appropriate move? Was it, So all of that, like being able to plan, but then also being able to evaluate and be flexible as you plan, uh, I'm finding that to be a challenge. Well, you named one of the biggest ones, and it's going to be a pleasure to work with you on our National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing, which is going to be having, uh, if you're young, gifted, and black, if you're young, gifted, and Latinx, if you're young, gifted, and angry, uh, you can go on info at thestrategycenter.org. And uh, Akuna, what's your email? Uh, my email is A-K-U-N-N-A. That's Akuna at thestrategycenter.org. So you can reach out to Akuna directly if you want to consider, uh, uh, right now we're talking about in the fall, a Saturday only internship to begin, and then if you do good in that, we're going to be making a national call for the spring and summer of 2024. Akuna, what a pleasure, and thanks for getting up with me, and uh, compared to your old job, this feels like uh, getting up late, but I appreciate it, and you're always a pleasure to talk to. Thanks, Eric. Have a great one. Take care of yourself. So I'm going to sing along with, um, you know, one of the things I do sometimes, I think about songs like, you know, with Perfect, I think of Ed Sheeran alone. Then I think of Ed Sheeran with Beyonce. Then I think of uh, Ed, Sheer Ed Sheeran with, um, um, terrible, I forgot the, the Italian tenor for a minute. Um, and then, God, Unchained Melody. <clears throat> I first heard it with, Gary, you remember Al Hibbler? So Al Hibbler was a blind singer, and he was the first one I knew sang Unchained Melody when I was a kid. Then there was Roy Hamilton who sang it. Then, of course, there's the um, Righteous Brothers, who uh, many may think is the main one. But there's one I like done by the Drifters called uh, Unchained Melody. So um, I'm going to sing along with it. And uh, one good thing is get up. And sing along with me. Remember, you're at home. You could be the star of your own show. If you're in your shower, in your backyard, we're just singing, 
Let's enjoy singing. Gary, you can sing along. Oh, my love, my darling, I hunger for your touch. Thousands of great songs by the Drifters, and thank you for letting me sing along with you. Uh, I realize it's good for my soul. So I got good news. Thanks to Anna Marie Barry of Long Beach for a very generous donation, and she's getting Playbook for Progressives. 
that means a lot, you know, uh, for me and Gary to get up. Anna Marie, thanks a lot. I know there's others out there, 818-985-5735. So you get to know a, a new person, a Kuna Uka. You get to hear, I'm going to sing every week. Uh, you get Amy Goodman's news headlines, which are really good. We get, next week, I want to get some groups in uh, Maui who are actually fighting this and making demands on the system. So in three minutes, wow. All right, let's talk about KPFK money for three minutes. You know, this station has a long history to it. Think of the 1940s, free speech radio. Think about it. Listener-sponsored radio. And there's no question there was, I don't know, the history, but probably in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, you know, given where people's lives were at and the social movements, there was, you know, the station was reasonably well financed. I mean, there were, you know, and I used to come in here even two years ago, you know, there were 20 people here. The great Alan Minsky, my uh, program director who worked with me, you know, so much and so many different people were here, Mary Reich at the desk and, uh, you know, always thank God Mark Maxwell in, um, in production. And, you know, there was a community here. You walked in, you saw people, you said hello. Maggie LePique doing stuff on jazz. And then it got smaller and smaller. And thanks to Michael Novick, you don't even understand that Michael Novick is the general manager with one of the biggest salaries in radio today. I mean, uh, zero. Uh, he, Michael doesn't get paid. And Michael's uh, a great anti-racist, anti-imperialist figure on his own life, but he's chosen this job and he's doing it phenomenally. But you can't sustain something with an unpaid general manager. Uh, you can do it with unpaid Eric Mann, unpaid Akuna Uka, and unpaid Channing. We're happy to do that. But I want you to think about every time somebody, you see Trump and he gets you sick, 818-985-5735. You see Biden and Kamala Harris, they get you sick. 818-985-5735. You see Black Lives Matter doing some great stuff. 818-985-5735. You see uh, AOC. You see the Labor Community Strategy Center, the Bus Riders Union. Give to the people that are trying to change the world. Because on Voices from the Front Lines, if you notice, we ain't got no critics. We ain't got no social observers. You must be organizing to make something better happen in the world, which is why it's worth getting up with us every Tuesday at 8. So 818-985-5735. And go on our website, which is VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com. Check us out on all the podcasts. Gary Baca, again, thank you. Friends, I'll say clear. And state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did my